0: Button.
1: Welcome, everyone, to a very special episode of the Per 36 podcast. Uh, today, we have a very special guest and longtime Knicks beat reporter in Mark Berman. Mark, thank you so much for coming on.
0: Uh, great to have. Uh, great to be invited. It's a slow time, and uh, it's great to try to talk some best. Uh, you guys do a great job. Thank you. a thrill you know, ever since college I've been working with the school newspaper and also in high school so uh, it's a real dream to cover the Knicks and uh, just hoping somehow the season uh, moves on but I think it's becoming a low priority for even Knicks fans because what's going on in the world is terrifying
1: yeah it's scary for sure I mean it's really hard for me to imagine that at this point it is it is hard to see the season coming back at least soon. I mean, what do you think uh, the NBA will end up doing at this point? Well we did a story uh
0: after a, a paper but it was somewhere two days ago that Adam Silver really wants to crown a champion no matter how it, how he goes about it obstacles, but silver, listen, there's so much money at stake, and I know they say it's not about the money, but when they say it's not the money, sometimes it is about the money, and, you know, silver is really determined to crown a champion.
1: Yeah, I mean, that makes Um, sense, because even, like, outside of money, it's just hard to imagine that, uh, it's hard to imagine an NBA season where there's no crowned champion at all, like, I mean, I'm sure that I mean it's I I think in some way or another you need to have some champion and it's really a shame, especially with like LeBron. You know, this I mean, we never really know how much longer a guy like uh he has. So I mean, to lose like a potential championship run year, I mean that's just hurtful for fantasy, which I mean I guess also again ties into the whole money thing that I mean, if uh you're losing on LeBron playoffs that's that's gotta hurt.
0: Yeah. Well, for the Lakers with LeBron obviously at 35 it's a disaster for the Bucks the best team in the NBA because Giannis is going to be a free agent the following season and this is where they're trying to win they talking to Jeff Van Gundy uh, last week he thought Milwaukee was going to win the title he thought the Clippers and the Lakers were going to be in the conference finals in the West he was looking forward to having that series at, at Staples Center and it would have been amazing but it's lousy for the Clippers who gave the Knicks their first round
2: draft pick. I twelve games of Marcus Morris. Uh, yeah. and, it, and also, it, Yeah, yeah good. You know, and also, like, especially when you bring up the Clippers, there's a chance that if the season gets cancelled that it would have salary cap ramifications. And so not only would they have given up the first round pick, uh, for Marcus Morris, but like like, you know, he's a free agent to sell it, but also a guy like Montrez Harrell, who it was already up in the air if he was in to return, it looks most likely like they won't be able to re-sign him. And so that that really, really hurts them. Yeah, I, I, listen, I thought that the Clippers were getting to the finals. I don't know if they
0: would have beaten the Bucks, but I thought they were going to beat the Lakers. And Montrezl, he's a terrific player. He's, to me, he's one of the most underrated players in the NBA right now. Very few casual NBA fans know of him. I know he's destroyed the Knicks uh, whenever the, the Knicks play the Clippers. You know, he just, he's an inside menace. And, uh, yeah, that Clippers game after the Mars trade, Morris was taking some time to adjust, but he was going to adjust. He's a good defender, and his three point shot and not yet fallen for them, but I think he was just getting in rhythm with.
1: Yeah, I mean, Sam and I were actually talking before about what teams we thought were hurt by that, and I think those were pretty much at the top of the list. Though, so, I mean, at the same time, it you know, as a Knicks fan, that, that kind of helps us because now all of a sudden that precious cap space, which, you know, they've been ragged on a bit for that being the main part of the Porzingis trade, probably fairly so, but all of a sudden that does become a little more valuable, not even just for signing guys this season, but just like, you know, having flexibility if other teams want to get off their... Now going to be worse contracts. Yeah, well, the whole issue now
0: going into can see if the season is canceled is will the salary cap remain the same, or because of a massive loss of revenue, is it going to drop, and that could hurt the Knicks uh, in terms of having a lot of ca- as much cap space as they thought they would have, or well, the two thousand twenty. You know, the Knicks were never fully focused on signing a master free agent unless somehow Anthony Davis decided to leave. But they also were looking at making a trade for a star and using the cap space to inherit that big salary player, a.k.a. Chris Paul or something, although the Chris Paul thing just seemed a little risky in my eyes. But, yeah, listen, the Knicks, the the one drawback... Listen, they're not playing the final 16 games. If they play four or five games, they'll be lucky. But the drawback is they never got to the young guys in full force. I think they were waiting maybe to April 1st. They were still trying to win games. Mike Miller was told, we want to win games. Just keep playing the guys you think are going to win games. But I think in the final seven games in April, I think we would have seen Knox starting we would have seen Grez Dekas playing meaningful minutes, more of Dennis Smith, more of Frank and less of Alfred. It, we never got to that point for the Knicks. Maybe in the four, final four or five games if somehow they do play it, we will see it. But I just feel there's more than a 50-50 chance that there's not
2: going to be a
1: season. Yeah, now, as you look go. at how this could affect um, kind of
2: how the summer starts with the combine, which is obviously not going to happen, and the pre draft process and the workouts, and then obviously the draft. Do you think that um, kind of this really affects the Knicks in terms of approaching this offseason? Because as we know, this was, this was a really, really crucial offseason for us, especially with uh, Leon Rose just taking the helm and the draft capital we have now, which we haven't had in a while. Um, and it's also not considered that strong in the draft. And so it seems like it's just getting a little more worrisome. Yeah, it's, it's just an
0: amazing new change-up for all these scouts and administrators to try to figure out, you know, how to continue on analyzing these players. They lose out on the conference tournaments. They lost out on the NCAA tournament. They lose out on the real combine. And the key though was the interviews, the face-to-face interviews that so many teams feel is very important just to get a feel of the character. And I guess you could do it over the phone and via Skype or whatever the new you know mechanisms are, video conferencing. But you still don't get a real feel of being in the room, you know, with these players, and these are such uh, important decisions. The Knicks, you know, as you know, don't have 3 picks in the top 38, most likely Charlotte, is so, probably the 8th eighth, eighth worst team in the league, and the Knicks have their second round pick, so that would be like a 38th pick. Obviously they have the lottery pick and they have the Clippers pick, which would be I think 26. So, I, I did the I mean, right now they're looking at videotape. And I will say that Scott Perry does run a pretty good draft and he has seen these guys since high school, thankfully, because he didn't get a full freshman season out of some of these lottery picks. So it will be it will show who has the great scouting stance to adjust to these times.
1: Yeah, I mean, for sure. Uh, I also just want to go back to the one of the the things you said before that just that I mean I think it really is disappointing that we missed out on those precious uh you know young player minutes. I know you and I have kind of agreed disagreed a bit on that. I mean obviously no one foresaw this coming, but I mean I I'm part of the minutes police who uh you know definitely definitely loves to see the young guys play even even through um, the you you know even even you know through play through the growing pains though at at the same time I will honestly say that despite all of that really as long as they're playing to a certain extent I'm happy and I think by the end with just a short time under Miller I would say we have seen a bit of progression under everyone, um, but I I, I really think we missed out on not giving uh really any real NBA minutes and I was just wondering if you. I mean, I don't know, what, what are your, do you wish they, obviously no one expected this, but do you wish they had played the young guys a bit more? You know, we
0: clashed before the All-Star break, but
1: of the were coming out of the break, I had changed my tune. Uh, going
0: into the break, they had that terrible loss in Atlanta in double overtime the where they blew the lead, and then they got crushed by the Wizards in the final game, entering the All-Star break. And at that point, uh, there was no purpose in continuing this myth of, you know, trying to stay in the race. Uh, But before that, they had a four-game winning streak. They lost in Atlanta, and that snapped a four-game winning streak. So I was on board with Mike Miller's decisions to, to roll with some of the young veterans as opposed to going full force on Knox. but. I will say that after the break, I was shocked. Uh, I, uh, especially even when Leon Rose came aboard. I thought Knox would be in the starting lineup. I thought we'd see more out of Smith. When Smith came back from the concussion, even he, I don't think he played a minute. I think those final two games, he was a DNP. Uh, yeah, it was, a, it was. A, in retrospect, it was a massive mistake. No, no one knew, obviously, the coronavirus was shut down the season. But in retrospect, it was amazing your mistake that Kevin Knox never got a runway to really show himself like he flashed as a rookie because I thought the rookie year though a roller coaster, there were some wonderful nights where he showed all-star form and his confidence was crushed this season by Fisdale and Miller and I'm sure the organization would like to have it back and Bristica, yeah, I think he's a good player. In the summer league, he he looked better than Barrett but he's not a defender at all. And the Knicks had to really showcase their number three pick in the draft. And the glut at that position, you know, they just had too many players. So Brzezikas, I was told when we wrote it you know, 10 days ago or so, that Brzezikas was going to get his shot starting in April 1st when the G League season officially ended and the Westchester Knicks were not making the playoffs. Yeah, it's
2: a big loss, but the Knicks did not get a chance to to run these young guys out a lot more. Going off that on like kind of the ramifications of not letting those young guys get minutes. Even a guy like Frank, he's obviously he, he's our rookie he's a, it's his third year, but he's never really gotten a consistent run. He's, like that to show really that he could be um, our our starting either point guard or even just a combo guard. He's always kind of been kept on that leash, but As you know, he is as much of a Knicks fan favorite as it gets. And so now going into a summer where he's going to be eligible for an extension, what do you think uh, it looks like in terms of the team wanting him back? And also, I I don't even know what an extension for Frank looks like money-wise. Like, I have no idea what his value is because he's shown flashes of being a guy that could start in the NBA for the next 12 years, but you really don't know. Yeah, I don't think there will be an extension
0: next year. I think if they don't trade him on draft night, which still is a possibility, I think they're going to let him become a restricted free agent. They'll still have an ability to match and to offer. And I think they'd like... His game hasn't evolved enough for them to really invest enough in an extension. I think they'd rather see what his market uh, holds uh, as a free agent, and then they can match an offer yeah. or not match an offer. Uh, regarding uh, Frank's season, I disagree a little. I thought he got a lot of minutes off the bench. Uh, I think they got a chance to, to up and see enough of him. Yes, he probably should have, after the All-Star break, started over Alfred Payton. And, and listen, Dennis did get hurt. With the concussions, and he missed several games. But yeah, in the perfect world, it should have been Frank starting and Dennis coming off the bench, and and Alfred out of rotation because I still think it's a long shot that Alfred's option is picked up. But I think they, you know, Leon Rose and and Perry thought they had more time, and they just didn't realize that. You know they would have have no time, maybe four games, if they if they restart the regular season. But uh, it, it's really unfortunate, and and that's the, the worst part of this uh, this season suspension is just not getting enough of a chance to see the Frank Militina, Kevin Knox, Dennis Smith, Brzdicas. Uh, we did see a lot of Robinson, uh, and we did see enough of Barrett, but. Those other guys uh, got the short shrift, and somehow Damian Dawson just fell off the
1: map. Yeah, I mean that—that's strange to me because I mean he—he's you know one of their younger guys, but he's a guy that pretty much, especially with Frank, they've been so effective together. It's just always strange how he always falls out of favor. I I, I don't know why. Do you have any idea? of So like, why he gets undervalued at times? Yeah. it's amazing how politics still plays a role, unfortunately
0: drafted by Phil Jackson and Mills was the GM, both of them not with the organization now. Leon Rose, I mean once Leon came aboard, Dotson was done. I mean he, he was the ENT I think eight of the last nine games. His three-point percentage was still up there in the 3- 3637 percent range. I remember asking Mike Miller before one game, you know, what's happened to Dotson. And he gave a snarky response. Well, I've just talked about Wayne Ellington playing really well, and that's your answer. So, and yet, Wayne, after that night, when I asked Miller, Wayne had a couple of bad games, and he still was playing.
1: And also, I mean, Wayne a
0: defender. I don't know. Dotson seems to be a good three-point shooter, hustles on defense, He's a smart player, he's not a ball handler, he's not yeah. a real shot creator, but I like him, and he's still
1: young. Yeah, I don't know. it's now, strange, and even yeah. you no, know, even if Wayne, again, just my like point of difference with these guys is just that like, even if Wayne Ellington is playing well, and I mean, I think he does add some value to maybe make life easier for the young guys with his shooting, I mean, Dotson brings similar things to the table, and it's more likely that that's a guy you're going to want to keep around for the future than Ellington, I'd say. Yeah, it's
0: so much politics. Wayne Ellington
1: has a pretty
0: powerful agent and Mark Uh, Wayne had a chance, I'm told, and I wrote uh, a few days ago, that there were a few teams after the trade deadline that told Ellington's people that they'd sign him for uh, depth, a playoff team, in each conference. That they would sign Ellington for first steps, And Wayne decided that he preferred to remain with the Knicks to help the young guys. And Scott Perry really wanted him to be around the young guys. They thought he was a good influence. So my sense is they were rewarding him with some playing time because he did press the issue. Um, And, you know, Wayne's a really good guy in the locker room. I mean, that's what he brings. But I guess they felt maybe there was a side agreement. Listen, if he doesn't take a buyout, you know, don't DNP him every night. Uh, And then with Dodson, there seems not to be an interest in signing him. So it was a little frustrating. And I really like Dodson. I think he's a really good locker room guy, too.
2: But... Somewhere along the lines, uh, they've decided to move on from him. Going back to the point you made um, about obviously politics play a role in everything in the NBA, especially like with Dotson being a Mills and Phil guy. Going back to Frank, Frank. you have a little bit of worry that those Frank is a Mills and Phil guy, maybe that.
0: That's what we need for our lottery pick. So, well, a lot depends on who they draft uh, regarding Frank's future.
1: Uh, and then again, on politics, I mean, it seems a lot of moves around the Knicks have been, you know, pulled off apart because Leon Rose has been, you know, already in the ear of Dolan. And with CAA, I know, you know, just a few like Ronaldo Bachman was drafted pretty early. Or on than most would have expected. And he was a CAA agent. They traded for Bargnani, who was a CAA agent. I know there's like a push to get Mike Woodson as one, and obviously Mello is one. So I'm just wondering, do you think there's any concern of, you know, Leon Rose favoring CAA guys even as a GM? Do you think that factors in at all? Where he's still going to like be looking out for his agency? Yeah, this is definitely a concern.
0: I mean, he even wrote in Joe's paper about Payton. You know, he's got that $8 million option for next year. And I wrote that, hey, it doesn't hurt that he's a CAA client, although Leon wasn't his primary uh, client. Aaron Mince's and Aaron and Leon are extremely close. And Alfred did well. Listen, he's, you know, I wrote, he was one of the, he's still one of the underrated point guards in the league. No one really respects him that much. And, you know, the Knicks did better when he was running the show. But, you know, I still think it's a long shot that they do uh, exercise the option. But I think his chances are stronger because he's from CAA. And I think all through when we look at these transactions, I think we're going to be saying, he's a CAA guy, he's a CAA guy. But Melo Ball has signed with CAA, so we wonder about that. I, I think, yeah, I think that's always in, in the background here. Yeah. I'm sorry, go sign.
1: Yeah. No, so, um, kind of going off of that, uh, in your experience, you've obviously been
2: around firsthand kind of Every uh, new operates. And I kind of want to get your opinion on well, not what maybe you haven't had much time to see uh, so far, but what you're looking for with a Rose era to uh, really have genuine optimism that this can be a turnaround to the franchise. Well, a lot will depend on who he hires as general manager or if he
0: does decide to keep Scott. I think because of the coronavirus, I think it's not uh, appropriate right now to be making changes and firing people. I think Scott and some of his scouts will be running this draft. I'm not certain, but, uh, you know, Scott right now and his guys are pouring over videotape. I think that Leon needs a great GM around him. I think he needs you know, uh, a few better scouts around him, I think it's really important because Leon is, he's been an agent. I mean, this is new territory. It's a risk to to hire someone that has no experience running basketball operations for an NBA team. But Dolan believes that CAA and Leon has a lot of connections with maybe other agents and obviously you know star players i think the bottom line is james dolan wants leon rose to bring in a superstar and he thinks leon has what it takes to get that done he lost faith in steve mills and scott perry the Kristaps Porzingis trade straight obviously was the final nail in the coffin the way it turned out with using their cap space on role players and having Dennis Smith become a complete uh, disaster this season. So Leon's here to bring in the superstar and he knows them all. And that doesn't mean that he's going to be able to swing a deal or sign the player, but,
1: you know, that's what Dolan's faith is right now. Um, Speaking of optimism, is there, you know, with, you know the Knicks are obviously you know they they haven't given much to be optimistic about for about you know almost a decade or so now. Is it hard to write? Up, like do. You, what is it like with the drawback from fans you get, and does that factor in at all? Where you try to play nice, even though if you know that like you know there's a lot to not be optimistic about. Like does that does fan response ever factor into how you navigate? You know writing. <laughs>
0: Yeah, The Knicks fans, I've found, do not want to read any more negativity. Uh, it's, they've been beaten down and beaten down. And they want us to find the silver linings, and it's a challenge. But when there are silver linings, I will definitely write it. And, you know, when we write a negative story, you know, some fans get really upset, but the, the facts are the facts and this team has been a disaster for most of 20 years especially for the last 7 seasons with such inconsistent leadership and ever changing coaches and presidents and it's just been it's been a, a, a nightmare and Dolan doesn't make it any easier when he starts chastising fans and plays loud music to drown out Selveteen chants, because the fans are paying great money and they should be allowed to chant Salvatine. Yeah, but, but I have noticed that more this season than any season that that the fans are are so beaten down that they want to read positivity, and you know we try to find this, the silver linings, and I'm in the middle of a. 15-part series, and we pointed out the the highlights of some of the players, like Taj Gibson and Payton. Uh, you know, had a pretty good year, uh, and Barrett, despite his horrible percentages, he he looked like a guy who's going to get better and could contend for an All-Star team one day. But yeah, it's a challenge. It's a challenge to cover this team for the last 21 seasons. Because it's been so
1: miserable and ownership does not make my job any easier. Yeah. I mean it's I mean, to be a Knicks fan you essentially have to be crazy considering how bad they've been. So you kinda of like it's more just you just have to
2: be content with constant suffering. And then us uh, as Knicks fans, it becomes like really like a self deprecating we just we get comfortable in the uh, in the ineptitude of the team we love. And so, it is. now, this is a question I've always wondered. Um, with you being kind of uh, in the press conferences every day and on the road, um, and obviously we see on Twitter the back and forth you have with the different other beat reporters and like Bondi and Bork and all those guys, and obviously it gets contentious at times. But I'm wondering just what is that dynamic like in person? Like is it, because you see these guys all the time, you write for uh, rivaling uh, companies, what is that dynamic like? Well, I mean, we, we have a tech stream uh, that's been
0: going on for a couple of years where we just Pretty much bash each other in a joking fashion. I mean, it, anything you see on Twitter with guys taking shots at each other, it for the most part, it, it's mostly joking. Uh, but yeah, no, we, we get along great when we're together on the road. You know, dinners together, you know, sharing camps, and it, I know that <laughs> I know there could be a perception that we all hate each other, but it's it's not the case. I mean, yeah, of course we get. Someone writes something, and you know you don't agree with. But for the most part.
1: Yeah. I mean, again, it's tough. Listen, when the team's out of the playoff race, and say like December
0: first, then you start to come up with stories and cover games that are essentially meaningless as far as the playoffs. It's hard, and you know we get to commiserate
1: together. Yeah, I mean that that makes sense. You definitely have to have a sense of humor to cover this team. I'm glad to hear that because like when I, you know, I I know now that it was probably joke. I'm mean, that it was mostly joking, but uh. I remember, like, I would read some of like Frankie Solas' tweets calling you like Berman of the Post. I was like, dang, like I hope, I hope they're joking. Like, that's, it's a bit, uh, it's a bit much. Yeah, he's on the text, feed, too. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Frank is only happy when he's uh, ripping other writers, and it's all just though. But uh, that's one of his, uh, his uh, hobbies. Yeah, I, I like, I like ripping him too, though. He doesn't really, he never really <laughs> rips back. I, he must have me muted or something. But uh, him all the time. Like um, he'll he'll make yeah, an anti. He used to respond like crazy, but I, I think he's maybe toned it down. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: but yeah, he, he he's very uh, he loves Twitter. I mean, that's like one of his uh,
1: favorite uh, outlets. Yeah, I mean, it's fun. I love it too. No, he'll just like make up anti Porzingis. He'll make like a you know Porzingis yeah, yeah. tweet ripping the Knicks, and then when Porzingis has a bad uh, game, uh, I'll rip when, him bad as a monster game, you in know, will report it. Rub, rub it in all of our faces. Right. But, you know, it's the other way around, that's when I'll I'll step up and I'll be silent when he has a good game. <laughs> right. Yeah, think Chris. Kristaps, he really finished strong. Yeah. There I mean, was a time in the middle of the year where, well, he got hurt, and then he was a
0: little inefficient, but I think he finished strong. I think he's going to be a very good player. Yeah. And he looks like he's on the winning team, and finally. He wasn't even on a winning team in Spain when he played. He was on
1: pretty bad teams in Spain. Yeah, I mean... When, when, when you look back to kind of
2: uh, the end of the Kristaps chapter with the Knicks, where kind of all of those stories were starting to trickle out, and we couldn't really figure out, hey, is, is this the Knicks leaking this stuff to try to take the heat off of them, or is there kind of some validity to him really... Uh, maybe not being the best locker room guy and off the court influence. What was kind of your feel around that situation? Are we talking about Chris Yes, yeah. Yeah, well it was more the brother. Uh Giannis Yeah. Yannis drove yeah
0: he, yeah, he drove uh, management crazy. He had very high expectations and was very demanding and and he just didn't see it in Steve Mills. He just did not trust him. I think they like Fisdale well enough. I think Christophs was crazy about Fisdale, especially the way he handled Cantor. I think Fisdale yeah. also had, you know, a, a history of not loving European players. So I think there was that. But ultimately, Giannis just did not believe in in uh, the administration and did not believe they were going to build a winning team. Yet, when it came to that faithful meeting, I think. The Knicks weren't trying to convince them anymore. I think the Knicks had the Dallas deal in place. They had the visions of opening up that cap space for Kyrie and KD. And once they sat down and said, we need a commitment from you. We want to know if you want to be here. And when Kristaps and Giannis gave their usual, we are not sure, you know, and blah, blah, you know, Terry and Mills were... were we're done. (laughs) They they, they felt they had done everything they could to show Chris Stops that, you know, they're on the right track. And they felt that if by then they couldn't convince them,
2: they, they decided to go a different route. It turned into a disaster. Now, do you, uh, do you know of any, like, obviously there was some rumblings of that they already had that deal in place before that Mavericks game started, or they met at that game. And you know, the night before, right? Yeah. have you heard of any um, any possible other that could have been on the table? I know that there was some of things that they tried to get. Uh, they tried to get Fox, or they tried to get uh, Don Mitchell, and they both got rejected. But had you heard of any sort of other possibilities with that trade, or was it kind of just? they wanted to have they wanted to slots and they just took
0: their masks, you know? Yeah, well one of the problems was the Knicks were very concerned about the notion that they were shopping Persingis. Uh, they were very concerned that it got out there and it would have been a major soap opera. So they were very discreet. They did speak to probably eight teams and ultimately the decision was, we prefer the cap space than anything else. So they went the cap space route, they felt Dennis Smith was still in his rookie contract and still had potential. But no, did they canvas uh, every team like they should've? No, because they were afraid it would get out, that they were shopping Perzingis and they didn't want that to happen. One, it would would have kicked off Giannis Perzingis uh, so when they sat down, Giannis really didn't have much of an idea that the Knicks had already been shopping him to some teams. And the irony, and we've written this after the meeting, Giannis either emailed the wish list to Mills or called him up on the phone with a wish list of four or five teams. And by the time the Knicks got the wish list, they pretty much had the deal with Dallas in place, and Dallas was not on the wish list. So, uh, yeah, I think the Knicks, uh, I don't
1: know, I don't want to use the word, when behind their backs, but yeah, they were shopping in, in the few weeks leading up to that meeting. Yeah, makes sense. Um, one, uh, uh, to go back to like a similar question from before, with, you know, because the Knicks haven't been all that great, is it hard navigating like writing honestly about, you know, some of that poor play and being like a little, you know, concerned about, you know, a player reading something and getting offended?
0: Yeah, well, that's one of the challenging parts of being a beat writer is writing the truth and still appearing in the locker room the next day to face that player or that coach. Uh, Yeah, that's one of the uh, real difficult parts of the job is maintaining relationships with players that you're sometimes writing negatively about. And that's why it's so much easier to cover a winning team because you're usually writing the positive. Uh, but with with this next team, I mean, there was a lot of negative stuff going on. But yeah, I, listen, you try to just be as nice as possible to the guys in person. Uh, you hope know, they don't really read the stuff, you know they probably do if something's particularly negative, their agent or one of the XPR people may show uh, the player the piece. But the key is just to really not talk about it and just talk
1: about other stuff and just being very pleasant with them. Yeah. Now, oh, well, so we're at we're at close to 45 minutes now, so we'll wrap it up.
2: But as this is the Per 36 podcast, we asked all of our guests this, um, and you honestly have one of the more unique perspectives um, with all the basketball and games you've seen, and especially uh, with not many star-caliber players. Do you have, over the years, a your favorite per-36 all-star, who might be a really underappreciated bench guy who averaged six minutes a game, but who you really kind of liked or appreciated? Uh, like,
1: not a scouting type player, yeah. Like, a guy like yeah, Chris Copeland know. or Pablo Prisioni is kind of like what we're going for, yeah. Yeah,
0: like, a- those are two good, uh, guesses, uh, candidates there. Uh, yeah, I mean, just from the last few years, I know this is gonna sound trite, but I, I enjoyed covering Ron Baker. I mean, this guy was not supposed to be in the NBA, and you know, he. I just enjoyed being around him. He was such a rah rah guy uh, in the locker room and on the bench. And, you know, he made the most of his talents. And he was a defender. And he was such a team guy. And he was just a delight to be around. He was great in the locker room. And that's, you know, everyone, listen, his contract, when he got that two year $9 million, every agent in the country was, what? What? How did that happen? But Stephen Mills just fell in love with him as, you know, a locker room guy who was content to be a 15th man. And, and I think fans liked him. And I wish if he could have developed a three-point shot, you know, because he did play defense, but he never became a good enough three-point shooter to stick in the league. I still think he's going to try to continue on his career in Europe. But, uh, you know, from the very recent times, you know, Ron was a lot of fun to cover.
1: Yeah, I. That's a perfect answer. I think most Nick fans are glad to hear Ron was like that. That was definitely like the type of a uh, player we were going for. I I love Ron, and I definitely agree that just you know if he just had a shot, he probably would be like a solid player. I mean, he's a good defender. He was really just a shot away, but that that hurts you. Kind of like it's hurt Frank. I think right now he's playing for in Russia. I I last time I checked, his numbers are not. We're we're scary how not good they are, but I mean I I, I think he's averaging like three points a game in like sixteen minutes, which was surprising. Wow. Yeah. Uh, well, I, the I, irony is that Ron and Fred
0: and Leet were Wichita State teammates and were considered sort of similar, but then Leet, uh, just kept improving, and and Ron, you know, he had the shoulder torn yeah. the shoulder, so that hurt Ron's development, For but. Sure. You know, Van Baleet loves, uh, you asked Van Baleet about Baker during the finals, and Van Baleet just talked like two minutes about the guy, how much he loves him, you know, they were great teammates.
2: Wichita State was a powerhouse when those two hey, minutes Anthony were Early. I was I remember being super excited about Cle Anthony Early until that, uh, yes. uh, that accident. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, Phil Jackson loved Cle Anthony and the
0: scouts. They got him in the second round, and they really thought he was a first round pick. And just, yeah, he did not work hard enough, I guess, on his game either, and then he got into some uh, trouble with yeah. the law, yeah. and, uh, yeah, yeah it, it, that turned into a real bust. That was the same draft that actually, at 55, they picked Uh, uh the Greek-Greek's brother. Yeah. And he never got much of a cup of coffee. And I've written before, that Giannis, you know, he was really kicked off at the next that they never gave his brother a shot. His brother's now with Milwaukee.
1: Yeah, that that's another good per thirty six all star right there because I think he scored like once in his like one minute he got. So I think he averages like fifty <laughs> points per thirty six. Yeah, that's that's
0: amazing. Yeah, he, he was a very jovial kid and defender. He was an active defender and he really wanted to show his stuff and he was so disappointed that they buried him in the tree leaf for so long
1: and did he actually I know he played at least one game I wasn't sure if it was even more than that but I, I think yeah, I th- it was really weird I think it was just one game for literally maybe just like three minutes um, wow. but yeah he played he, pl- he played two games six minutes total so yeah he wasn't given a lot of a chance and yeah, that's kind of unfortunate because it probably does hurt. There are already low chances at Giannis, even though they're the only team to really give him a shot outside of the Bucks. that you know they kind of had to go out and just go out of their way to hurt him like that. But, uh, yeah, well, if they knew what,
0: then what they know, knew now, they probably would have given him a lot more of an opportunity. But, yeah, I remember quoting Giannis. We were in London. The Knicks Bucks were in London a few years ago, and I asked Giannis about it, and he took a little shot at the Knicks. But, uh, yes, and I, I is probably only in the NBA right now because of his brother, but it's, listen, Giannis could re sign with Milwaukee, and maybe one of the reasons is he appreciated what they did for his brother. It's like,
1: it's like Chris, it's like we and Chris Smith. <laughs> right, exactly. To J.R. Smith, yes. Another person. Yeah, same
0: 30. talent, but, you know, same idea.
1: And that was uh, Leon Rose, by the way. <laughs> Leon, uh. Yeah, that was uh, on okay. Oh,
2: yeah.
1: Well, wow. another I'm another per- that because he's been on the other end
2: of the, the deal so many times screwing us that it'll go kind of opposite and uh, he'll bring that power to us now. Yeah, well, Leon, unfortunately, was part of a few
0: bad deals going back to Eddie Curry and obviously Andrea Bargani. Uh, so th- those deals may have worked out
1: for his clients somewhat, but it was not good for the next. All right, uh, we'll let you go. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Do you have anything to promote or anything in particular? I mean, we're still coming out with a sports
0: section every day at the New York Post, amazingly. And I'm in the midst of a 15-part series on every player. uh, Bobby Portis is next up. It's in alphabetical order, so we're on, I think, part 10 or part 11. But I know I'm writing up Bobby as soon as we uh, hang up here. Alex right. uh, no, and Simon, thanks so
2: much. I really appreciate uh, the chance to talk about the next uh, series, is tough times.
1: We appreciate awesome. you. too.
2: We really enjoyed talking to you, and hopefully we'll, we'll uh, talk again at some point. Thank you so much for coming right. on. All right, thanks, guys. And good luck with everything.
0: Thank you. Have a good one.